It can sound like a scary movie or a ghostly tale around a campfire. But millions of people around the world believe in some form of animism, a world of spirits, forces, and multiple gods which interact with us every day. Why do so many believe that the spirits of their dead ancestors still linger and demand our attention? Most importantly, is there anything about animism that can be dangerous? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukerin. Dr. Zukerin is an expert on world religions, cults, and the occult. Today, you'll hear his presentation before an audience in Hawaii, a beautiful place, but it's known for its many animistic religions. Pat will explain what animism is and evaluate the animistic worldview. And you're about to hear some very interesting stories. And as you listen today, we'd like to invite you to our website where you'll find the most important spiritual and cultural topics discussed in our many resources. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is at evidenceandanswers.org. You can download past shows, interviews with leading experts, as well as past books and articles. We think you'll be amazed at the resources available for download at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And now, here's Pat Zukerin with part two of his teaching on animism. What do we mean by animistic religions? Well, animism comes from the Latin word anima, means life, breath, or soul. And animism is the belief that this world is inhabited by spirits and powers which interact with this physical world and affect our daily activities. There are nature spirits, plant spirits, animal spirits. The land is inhabited by spirits who exercise their power over mountains, rivers, and streams. Ghosts, on the other hand, are believed to be souls of the departed who did not live fulfilled lives or died tragic deaths. And ghosts often search for bodies to inhabit and often bring harm to people. And so there's a lot of stories of ghosts in the old Pali Road where I live. And it was the scariest thing in the world because after 6 o'clock, the bus would not go up the old Pali Road. It would stop, and I'd have to walk all the way up that dark, dark, dark road where the trees hang over and block out the lights. And I was just a little boy, second, third, fourth grade, walking home in the dark, knowing all these ghost stories and spirits are out there. In China, if you can see here, when you go to old, older buildings, when you walk into a doorstep, you, you're always going to have to step about a foot, foot and a half over this piece of wood on the ground there. If you're not careful, you're going to trip over. And people on our team kept falling over these things. And they're like, why is this here? Why is this thing here? Hey, whenever you walk through a doorway, you're going to have to step over like that. Why is that? Chinese believe that spirits run through your house. Hey, they run through the doorways. And so they put this block of wood there. It's about a foot high, foot and a half high, to trip the spirits. Hey, they trip them up so that they will not come running through your house. They'll go running around. So when you're in, out there in parts of Asia, uh, remember that. Now, remember, people take this, okay, they take this very seriously. Then there are the spirits of the ancestors, those who once inhabited physical bodies. The spirits of the ancestors never leave you. They're always staying there with you, watching over you. And you better pay attention to them and pay respect to them. You better put incense in the bowl every morning. You better put your food out to them every morning. In other places, you better chant to them. You better show them respect because if you neglect the spirit of the ancestors, they're not going to protect you. Bad things will be happening to you. One of the uh, 
worst things for a person that can happen in these kinds of societies is to be cast out of a family. Because then when you die, your spirit will just wander aimlessly throughout the earth. You will not become part of the ancestors who will guard and watch over the family members who are now living. Neglected ancestors or angry spirits can cause great harm to the living, so you've got to pay them respect. Then we have unseen forces, fate, magic, or the evil eye. Growing up, you know, in uh, elementary school, right, the teacher gave you the evil eye. Right? You better watch out. You know, that's all she had to do, give you the evil eye. And I was like, oh, okay, you know. Witchcraft okay? uh, and different powers and forces are always at work. Here are the key themes in animism. There are several. Uh, perhaps uh, in the world religions class coming up, we'll go over more. But here's just three that I want to go over. First, the interaction of the spirit world and the physical world. In animistic cultures, it is believed that we live in a world surrounded by spirits, the spirit of the ancestors, witchcraft, magic, and other supernatural beings and forces, most of which are hostile to human beings. The world of the seen and the unseen are directly connected. All things are connected. So if you move a rock, which is a sacred rock, it may have negative consequences for a spirit may dwell there and bad things will start happening to you. If one eats a fruit from the wrong tree, it may cause disaster in your life because the worlds are interconnected. And therefore, people in animistic cultures spend their time seeking to appease the gods and the spirits and the ancestors, offering them bribes and sacrifices. People handle what they can through science, but what is beyond their control they turn to the folk religions. So ordinary problems, they may take to the small local shrines, but major problems, cancer or something of that sort, they take to the more powerful spirits in bigger, more elaborate, perhaps distant shrines in sacred places. You know, when I was pastoring um, in Dallas, a lot of Chinese in our church, and several, when they found out they had cancer, would ask us to pray for them, and we would pray for them. And when they were not healed, they went to the Chinese uh, temple there to pray. And then, um, you know, I asked them, I said, why are you going to, to pray to the Chinese Buddha, you know, and the, and the gods of China? And they said, well, you know, whatever works, man. Whatever works. You throw the kitchen sink at it. We've got to try everything we can because, you know, this cancer is going to kill us. And uh, one of the things I had to explain to them, you know, is that how you handle your sickness and how you face death is going to be a tremendous testimony and maybe the greatest legacy you leave to your kids. Uh, so don't compromise it. But their animistic beliefs were so strong. They said, uh-uh, we want all our bases covered. We want to try whatever's out there. And so they were doing uh, all kinds of things. Um, acupuncture, herbal baths, going to the temple, putting incense to this Buddha, going to that temple, trying you know, this temple, that temple, and coming to church on Sunday and having the pastors pray for them, you know, doing it all uh, to see which one would work. Second, there's an emphasis on power. Those in animistic religions are not interested in an academic understanding of the metaphysics and truth, but in securing good, being protected from evil. People view themselves as constantly struggling against the spirits and natural, supernatural forces that are out there, and the goal is to attain power to control the spirits or power to have some kind of protection from them. 
And third, people in animistic cultures live in fear. Fear is the driving force in that you're constantly afraid that you've offended a god. Okay? For example, when our stadium was going up, things were happening. A couple of the men on the construction project were killed. And they believed that they had been, they were constructing the stadium on sacred ground. Or that an ancient kahuna had cursed that ground. And so they were terrified to work there until it was blessed. They went in search of the kahuna who had cursed uh, the work there, but he had already died. Okay? And so they called another kahuna and a priest, the Hawaiian priest, you know, Christian priest, to come and bless what was going on there at the stadium. Those in animistic religions live in constant fear because you never know when you've offended a god or moved something that was sacred. All you know is when something bad happened to you, you probably did something bad. Now you've got to retrace your steps and figure out what it was. I remember growing up, we, you know, my dad and I, who happens to be you know, one of the most intelligent guys I know. He's a dentist. Right? We went up the old Pali Road, and we went up one of the trails, and we found some guava. And we're eating the guava, and then we brought some home. And then that night, I saw that he was very disturbed. And he looked at me, and he said, I don't think we should have taken that guava. I think it's sacred. We need to take it back. And I said, what's going to happen if we don't? He said, bachi, man, bad thing's going to happen. And I was, he, I could see he was concerned. And I was scared. I didn't think I was going to make it through tonight. You know, I thought I was going to die, literally. You know, I mean, that's how serious we were about it, and, and many people are. And so the next morning, you know, we got up. You know, I, I, I didn't sleep all night, man. I couldn't wait till the morning we got up, took the guava back to the old Pali Road and put it back uh, under the tree where we got it. And then I went to school. And so we're constantly living in fear of offending the gods or the spirits. How do we keep from offending them? Well, here are the basic practices in animistic cultures. We have what's called taboos, or in Hawaii, we call them kapu. Numerous prohibitions that are made to preserve the harmony between the spiritual world and the physical world. And myriads of taboos exist, and violation of any of them can result in the cursing of a person or a community and must be atoned for somehow with sacrifices. There are sacred places where the life force, the mana, is concentrated, and there is where you must perform the sacrifice to appease the gods or the spirits. And sacred people with special power who know the chants and the sacred words must come in and perform those ceremonies. There are sacred actions. Worship includes sacrifice of animals or plants to the deities. And the priest, the shaman, the witch doctor, they are the ones who know how to perform them. And their code, their rituals are kept orally within and passed down through their family and kept in their family alone. Omens play a special role, right? Signs in the heavens can foretell your future. Certain reptiles or animals encountered in the day, right? We say if a black cat crosses your path in the morning, look out, it's going to be a bad day. You know, even though I had come to Christ, on my uh, last night here on the islands, I was going to college on the mainland. You're going to have to give me a break. I've just been a Christian for, you know, less than a year. So I still had the Hawaiiana with me, you know. And I was going to, I took my drive around the east side of the island, 
you know, for my last time before I headed out to the mainland. And I had never hit anything driving before. And that night I ran over three cats, you know, two of them up on Tantalus Heights, you know, and then one of them down by Sea Life Park. So, man, I thought, whoa, my plane's going to crash or something. I better pray hard. All right, sacred words. There are many oaths, curses, and blessings. There are certain words that are charged with power if uttered by the priest. Such words possess mana. How do you share the gospel with those in animistic culture? How do you engage the animistic worldview? Well, first of all, we begin with worldviews. Animism teaches that there are a host of gods and goddesses and spirits and forces, but the Bible clearly teaches there is only one God. It's taught in the Old and New Testament. Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of all Israel, and His Redeemer and hosts, I am the first and I am the last besides me. There is no God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. There is one God who created all things taught clearly in the Old and New Testament. Often, as I said, in these animistic religions, behind all these gods is the belief of what's called residual monotheism, the belief in the Heavenly Father. You can identify who that is. Often in these cultures, once you identify who the Heavenly Father is, you say, I did not come to teach you a foreign god of the West. I came to teach you about the god of your ancestors, the Heavenly Father. Here's how you can know him. And that often strikes a bridge because now they see, ah, you didn't come to bring me the white man or the American religion. You came to teach me about the God of my forefathers. All right, I'm listening. Tell me about it. If there is one God, then all other gods, the gods of animism, therefore must all be false gods. Right? And uh, if you look at chapter 44 of Isaiah, verses 9 through 20, not Isaiah 9, 20, but Isaiah 44, 9 through 20, the prophet writes this, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see or know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all of his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants the cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man and he takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worship it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire, and over half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself, saying, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. 
And here God is mocking the practices of idolatry. If there's one God, then all others are false gods and imposters. To bow in worship to any other God, then, is to bow in surrender, as Isaiah teaches, to false images or, even more dangerous, maybe a demonic counterfeit. And you look at these religions, they eventually lead to detestable rituals and practices. Okay? They eventually lead to necromancy, okay? trying to conjure and contact the dead. They lead to things like human sacrifice and sexually immoral practices like temple prostitution. Because many of these gods are not morally pure. To submit to the other gods then is to put oneself into bondage of demonic forces. That's the danger of the animistic religions. Now as Christians, remember, there's no need to live in fear of the gods or spirits. Christ has conquered all. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 states that when Christ triumphed on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them on the cross. There's no need to fear the witch doctor and their curses, for we know that even the demonic hosts and all of creation is subject to Christ. Philippians chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 10 says, One day, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The saints of glory will come in and joyfully shout, Jesus Christ is Lord. But the demonic hosts and those who have rejected Christ and the dominions and powers and authorities who refuse to acknowledge Christ as Lord will one day come in, gritting their teeth, and in anger will bow their knee, and they also will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord over all creation. There's no need for the believer in Christ to fear the spirits or the forces of the animistic religions. Christ has conquered all. Christ even conquered the greatest enemy, sin and death through his resurrection. You know, in the Hawaiian religion, even the great warrior Maui could not conquer death, right? Many of you know that story. Maui one day saw his mother and saw that she was aging. And he said, why are you growing old and tired? And she said, growing old, we're all going to die. And he said, no, I'm not going to die. We're going to conquer death. How do I conquer death? And she said, Maui, the only way you can conquer death is to go up to the volcano, go in to the mouth of death and take his heart. And that's the only way you can conquer death. And he said, then that's what I will do. Right? And the story has it that Maui went up to the volcano at night. And before he went in, he spoke to all the birds and he said, be quiet because okay, I need to go into the mouth of death. And as he descended into the volcano, it says that he saw death, this monstrous, hideous figure of death. And he said even the great Maui was afraid of what he saw. Then he entered into the mouth of death and began pulling up the heart of death. And all night he spent pulling up the heart of death. Then just as the sun began to rise, a bird cried out and death awoke found Maui, clenched his teeth, and that was the end 
of the Hawaiian Superman Maui. But even Maui could not conquer death. Yet Jesus Christ showed he's Lord over all creation, conquering sin and death, showing he's master over all things in the universe. There's no need to fear the witch doctor then, whether here or in Africa. The Christian has the authority in the name of Jesus Christ to rebuke the witch doctor and their curses and to not be afraid of them. You know, one thing's in Africa when we were there or even in China. They live in great fear of the witch doctor and they were really surprised that when we were cursed, it didn't seem to bother us. And several of the guides with us pled with us, you know, would you give an offering to the witch doctor because he just cursed you? Please give him something. You know, and we explained to our to our guide, the God we serve is greater than all. He's conquered sin and death, and we have no need to fear the spirits or the demons he can call up, for Christ has conquered all. With that, however, remember to approach with humility and gentleness and respect. Though we have authority in Christ, though Christ has conquered all, that's no call for us to be arrogant about it or treat them as if they're ignorant or silly or something. Hey, that's offensive. You know, one of the things I tell our friends when they're coming to Hawaii or Japan or wherever we may go where, where it's animistic cultures, I tell them, watch the tone of your questions because it's very offensive if you ask them, you go, what, what is this? Oh, there's a God in there? You think there's a God? In, well, what does this God do? I mean, if you ask a question like that, they're going to be really offended. You know, oh, you actually think you pray to this? You're, it's going to protect you from sickness? This thing? Oh, let me see it, you know. That's very offensive, all right? You know, if you're going into a Buddhist temple, you know, take off your shoes, you know? We already carry an offensive message. We don't have to be offensive about it. Approach this with humility and gentleness and respect. This is something that has been carried on through their family for centuries, all right? So to go in there and ask those kinds of questions or be kind of condescending, you're insulting not only them, but their family, their ancestors, their grandparents, their heritage. So you want to be sensitive about that as you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and you start beginning to gently dismantle their false belief systems. And finally, present this. The God who is supreme over all the universe, the Heavenly Father, invites us into a personal relationship with Him. And our relationship with Him is not built on fear, but it's built on love. We don't always have to be running around going, how did I offend God today? Oh, did I do something wrong? Did I offend God? No, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God did not spare his own son even, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? Knowing all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The basis of our relationship with the God of the universe is love. And we understand he's a God of grace. It's not built on fear of constantly seeing if we've offended him or not. 
you know, growing up in the culture of Hawaii, you know, when I came to Christ, I still had my hang-ups, and I was still worried about spirits and demonic forces and offending gods and, and even the God of the Bible. And when someone shared with me, he said, no, as a Christian, there's no need to live in fear because God is a God of love. That's the very character of God who gave everything he had to save you uh, from sin and death. Therefore, there's no need to live in fear of that kind of God. Second of all, that God has conquered and rules over all dominions and powers. There's no need to fear the ghosts or the spirits or whatever may be out there because in the name of Christ, through Christ, not only do you have protection, but you have authority overall. And what a tremendous relief it was for me that I don't have to walk around with this burden of fear, but I can live understanding that, that I'm loved. And Jesus said, when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And that's the message we bring to those in the bondage of the animistic religions. We're out of time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. And in the meantime, this and other resources on animism are at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. As we like to say, you'll find everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism available at evidenceandanswers.org. And if you join us in believing that a radio program like this should be on the air, a program that presents and defends the claims of Christ and intelligently evaluates spirituality and culture, then please support us financially to help us stay on this station. One way to do that is by purchasing our resources at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll equip and educate yourself and others on major topics of faith and culture. Another way is simply to click on the Donate button on our front page at evidenceandanswers.org. Please do so today. We really appreciate it. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with 